Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, Ryan here. Before we get to this week's episode, we won. Somewhere in the Skies won two awards at the 2021 Paranormal Podcast Awards. Best UFO Alien Podcast and Paranormal Podcast of the Year. I was so honored to be nominated among so many other amazing podcasts in both categories. And it certainly raised the bar for me personally and for the show. Congratulations to all the nominees and winners, especially some of our good friends, including the Kryptonaut Podcast for Best Cryptid Podcast, Let's Get Haunted for Best Ghost Stories Podcast, Lore for Best Horror Podcast, Into the Fray Radio for Best Interview Podcast, Monsters Among Us for Best Paranormal Podcast, and Hysteria 51 for Best Paranormal Comedy Podcast. Be sure to check out all these amazing shows and all the other incredible nominees over at ParanormalityMag.com. My special thanks to Paranormality Magazine, to everyone who voted, and especially to you for all of your support along the way. And now, for another volume of UFO Happy Hour. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. As always, I am your host, Ryan Sprague, and welcome to another volume of UFO Happy Hour. So you know what that means. He is back, the host of the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm not even sure which volume this is anymore because they are all a blur. They are all the most fun we have here on Somewhere in the Skies. So I am so honored to once again bring him back to the show. Rob Christofferson, welcome back, brother. Uh, thanks man appreciate you having me back on having me back on the best ufo podcast it was it was announced yesterday people this is the best ufo podcast (laughs) it won the podcast award you it's 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 you got the bona fides now so well that's extremely kind of you man i mean i was amongst some heavy competition you should have been in there in my personal opinion and you should have won but uh that's (laughs) You know, it, it is I, what it is. <laughs> if I had had a better year, if I had uh, had a better output, maybe. But uh, I'm I'm kind of one of those uh, turning into the, the kind of person that's just like when I feel like this episode has what it needs, and uh, I, I'm confident that it's the best that I can uh, 
put forward in that episode. I'll put it out. Um, Absolutely. Unless it's just a, a discussion with people, you know, discussion with, uh, you know, friends, or if it's a two hour presentation for a paranormal conference. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, and that's why I've always respected what you do. You drop it when you want, you put the research in, um, you're under, you know, no pressure to just get things out, get things out for the sake mm-hmm. of it. And that's amazing. So when you do come out with something, it's like a big event. It's like the new, uh, you know, phase four of a Marvel movie coming out. Everyone's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it just drops. So, no, man, I highly respect that. And I highly respect all the shows that were nominated for those awards. So thank you to Paranormality Magazine, um, our good friends, That UFO Podcast. were right there next to us. So mm-hmm. um, that's why I love this community, man. Podcasting community is the most supportive I've ever come across. Way more than the UFO community. Oh um, yeah, which is uh, oh yeah something we'll talk about tonight <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But yeah, if you are watching on YouTube, you do see the continent of Africa in the background there. So that's what we're going to be discussing tonight, man. Our last happy hour was all about UFOs in New York, but mm-hmm. um, we're going to travel. We're going to Africa, where a lot of cases are not talked about here in america about what goes on in africa you know we have very few researchers who have put in the time and effort to do that and i know you highlight a lot of the research done by one of those individuals uh in a talk you gave recently at a conference so would you mind before we we dive deep into ufos in africa tell us a little about the conference you just took part in if you don't mind and a little about maybe what we'll be talking about tonight yeah, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a two-hour presentation at uh, Pan uh, Paranormal Con, and uh, this, it was a, a conference that was meant to be very inclusive to talk about issues that are often left out of the paranormal community because nobody wants to talk about them. People want to talk about the cases and, and, and stuff like that, and like I get that totally, but uh, they were issues that needed to be highlighted. So uh, for this uh, conference, I was asked to uh, actually give a presentation. The first time I've ever given a presentation on anything. And uh, I had already started working on like uh, the research for these cases from Africa because I I wanted to do an episode and uh, I wanted to highlight a lot of cases. So uh, the main researcher that did a lot of the work on uh, the cases from Africa and it just put the time in for over 20 years was Cynthia Hine. She wrote literally two books about it. She, she had a, a magazine dedicated to the subject called UFO Afro news. She ran it for uh, about a decade and a half. Like uh, the sad part was and from what I was able to glean just from the, the research I was able to do is like UFO research kind of lived and died with her. Like she, mm-hmm. there was definitely, uh, you know, a bunch of researchers in, in a bunch of different com- countries that uh, were, you know, uh, feeding her cases and uh, having them published and stuff like that. But it, in, when she died in 2000, like it, it just kind of, you know, died with her. And uh, that's not to say that they're, aren't investigators today in Africa. Uh, but the problem is, is that uh, if you go to your browser right now, you go to Google and you type in UFOs, Africa, what you're going to get is a BBC article about the aerial school landing. And don't get me wrong. Right. That is one of the most important cases of the last 30 years, hands down. It's incredibly important. And it, and it's kind of a great representation of 
what Africa brings to the table in terms of uh, UFO cases, because uh, you get a lot of different cultural perspectives that you don't necessarily get in the United States because, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm just going to say it, the United States is very white. So the demographic of cases that you're getting are primarily from white people. And that's not to say that black people do not experience UFOs in the States, but primarily your reporting comes from white people. That's mm-hmm. just something we have to admit. That's just something that uh, it, it is what it is. But when you go and you look in Africa, that same trend still exists. And primarily, uh, and, and Cynthia Hines, she was, she was a white woman. So we can, we could totally, uh, you know, that's, that's totally fine. Fault her but, for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, she was, from, she was from South Africa. She, she's right. African through and through. So, um, right. but um, one of the things that she highlighted is that there are different reasons why, uh, some things get reported as UFOs and some things don't. So um, the main thing is uh, the cultural context. So in a lot of UFO cases, uh, uh, particularly involving folks of uh, people of color, black African ancestry, they often relate them to spiritual ancestors or ghosts. Uh, and, and that's not to say that, you know, some phenomenon in the United States aren't related to that. Uh, ghost lights are very often, you know, uh, considered to be of a spiritual nature. So mm-hmm. oftentimes these are very similar things, but uh, more often than not, they, they are viewed as ancestral spirits. Um, but what you find more and more is that the cases that Cynthia Hine investigated the cases that were reported to her. 99.99% uh, were reported by white people. Um, and if they were involving folks of black African ancestry, they were reported to her by a white person anyway. So um, that's something that is endlessly fascinating to me, something that uh, I don't think that we just have enough data at this point to really get to the, the bottom of. But it's important to note these things when talking about UFOs from other countries, because as much as I don't like uh, or have issues with Mick West, there was that one map that he uh, retweeted on Twitter a couple months ago, and it's that thermal image of UFO cases from around the world. And you see mm-hmm. that, you know, in the United States, that thing is bright as hell. And one of the comments that he made was that uh, this is clearly a cultural thing. And while that's not totally the case, because we have UFOs all over the place, that map also doesn't take into consideration that uh, these are reported cases. So you're going to get less reports from other countries that don't have the investigators. So uh, given that, to an extent, yes, it is a cultural phenomenon through and through, definitely. And, And you can see this while looking at other countries. So uh, if you look at Puerto Rico, for instance, a lot of the UFO cases that come from Puerto Rico, they almost seem to be uh, indigenous inhabitants of the island in in a certain respect, especially from uh, a lot of the cases that you get are from rural areas and then in the El Yonke rainforest. Um, When you look at cases from Brazil, they are often hostile. Like the, that is one aspect of these cases is that uh, they are often hostile towards the people that live there. And in the United States, especially right now, given the conversation of UFOs and the UFO community, 
it's a military bent. You have a very military image of the phenomenon, despite the fact that you have a very long and historied, you know, case file of just crazy cases all over the place. It has a very predominant image of being a military phenomenon right now. So culture definitely plays a part in it. Um, so in uh, Africa, I was kind of able to break it down into four different types of cases. And and a lot of these are going to be similar to what you see in, in the United States and such. But the, the first one that I want to note is very important, which is the idea of uh, these globes or orbs of light. These are very mm. important. And often these cases are reported by uh, people of uh, black African ancestry, uh, people of color. They are often the ones that uh, interact with these things. And, and the most important to come from Africa on this is known as the La Rochelle incident. And this really gets into the cultural aspects of this phenomenon. So uh, on the border of Zimbabwe in the Mbiza Valley um, is this very beautiful estate called La Rochelle. It was built by Stephen and Virginia Courtauld, who were these wealthy folks that treated uh, the country right. They, uh, it, it was known as Rhodesia at the time, but it would later go on to become uh, Zimbabwe. I think might have even happened before they left. But in, they built this property that has like this beautiful watchtower. There's like a tea room. There is a building that is called the fantasy building. And this is where <laughs> Virginia Courtauld would like house her orchids and like have friends over and, and stuff like that. And, and it's just like, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting name for the building, but so it's a little like a uh, Michael Jackson's house. If you <laughs> ask me. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, out there and like uh, architectural choices, totally <laughs> just out there, just a combination yeah. of mishmash of different things. I but, love it. Uh, yeah, it, it, you could search this place online. You could actually book the events there if you want to. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It looks really cool. It, it, yeah, it. Uh, to be serious, it reminds me a lot of like the Great Gatsby. You know, like yeah. just this huge house. Every room is themed. And yep. yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, man. But yeah, no, I did <laughs> look into the house and it's crazy. So no yeah. wonder something weird happened there. So yeah, please go on. Yeah. So uh, in, in 72, uh, the Courtaulds left uh, Zimbabwe and they kind of just gave the property to uh, the country. And then uh, they just decided to... Th it's been, it's served a lot of different purposes over the years. It's served as an educational center. It's uh, served as, you know, a place that you can book weddings, you can book conferences and, and things like that. But um, it was uh, overseen by the forestry service uh, at, at the time. And, and, and in 1981, August of 1981, when this uh, event happened, there was about 20 staff that worked there. So, uh, August 15th, 1981, they, it was about five 30 at, at night. And, uh, there was a woman named Eunice Kochti. She taught, uh, I believe like basket making and, and things like that, that you could learn out there. And a lot of the folks lived there. So she looked out her window and she could see this globe of light at the top of a cassia tree. And she saw these three figures uh, right at the base of it, just looking up at it. And like, she couldn't make out a lot of details, but the, the one detail that that was interesting was that they were all wearing jeans, but they were all just like standing next to each other. 
And then the next moment, this globe of light just like climbs down the tree, starts Mm -hmm. rolling around the property, which um, the one thing that they describe this globe of light as is a a ball of fire. But it didn't Mm -hmm. leave any scorch marks. It didn't burn the grass or the ground, uh, but it rolled from the tree, ran, ran to the tea room. And then it ran back to the tree and it kept going back and forth for a while until it just kind of kept going on the property, just rolling around. And uh, you just didn't really know what to make of it. But uh, interestingly enough, like about 15 minutes later, there was another witness named Nason Simpandi. And uh, he, he pokes his head out the door because he, he starts to hear this ruckus. He doesn't know what's going on. So he sees this globe of light. Immediately goes back in his house. He's like, no, that's a ghost. I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> Peace is out. Nice. But, uh, but this, uh, this ball uh, makes its way to this watchtower. And then it starts to climb up the watchtower. And uh, it enters it through this window at the top. And uh, the witnesses that were all starting to mount at this time noticed that like, it looked like the room was on fire, is what they would say. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually this ball would start rolling down. Now, as it did, there was uh, the, the main witness in this case is a gentleman named Clifford Machena, who was the head gardener at the time there. And he sees this ball rolling out this tower and uh, he, he decides to follow it. Uh, he's going to go hit the emergency bell because he thinks that it's just a fire, a very strange fire. But uh, as he rounds this corner, as it's headed for the fantasy building, he notices three figures. They're just standing there with his back to him. And he believes that it's his boss, uh, a guy named Andrew Connolly. So he yells out, uh, calls uh, calls these one of these figures, Mr. Connolly. They all three turn around. And that's when he notices, like, uh, they're wearing these, like, very shiny uh, overalls. But their heads were just like emitting pure light. And he got terrified. He fell to his knees. He fell forward so he could just like block the light from his face. Uh, he didn't know exactly what he was seeing. But uh, he, he just covered up for uh, a number of minutes until he brought his head back up and he noticed that everything was gone. So uh, eventually, Andrew Connolly learns of this incident. And gets in contact with Cynthia Hine. Cynthia Hine comes out uh, not long after this uh, event took place. And she starts interviewing the witnesses. And she talks to Clifford Buchena. And she asks him, well, what do you think this was? And he's like, I think it was the ghost of my ancestors. Uh, And he was a member of the Mashona tribe, which uh, many of the employees there were members of their of that tribe. And there was a spirit in particular that they called a a, it's called a rave. And essentially a rave is uh, like a, a spirit that is not at rest because its ancestors have not put it to rest for one reason Mm. or another. They have some purpose to fill, but, uh, she asked him, yeah, I, I think it's a ghost. And she just kind of pressed him. was like, well, that's not what your spirits, uh, your ancestrals uh, would look like, you know? And, and uh, <laughs> she, he, had the, he had the best response. He uh, responds back, uh, well, you know, times change. <laughs> <laughs> times change? 
that's, ancestral that's, ghosts change. We all yeah. grow. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the thing is, uh, you know, going through uh, additional cases of, of Cynthia Hines, you find these cases where these these witnesses see these craft, like something that should clearly be technology. They see people get out of this craft. And they still think it's a spirit. That's that's endlessly fascinating that um, their beliefs, their tribal beliefs are, um, you know, still, you know, widely intact. And it's viewed through that lens as opposed to a technological lens or uh, an interdimensional lens. And, and that's what makes these cases fascinating from Africa is that there are uh, multiple different cultures at one point looking at this phenomenon and coming to different conclusions. So that's important in terms of uh, a lot of the time, why you don't hear a lot of cases coming from Africa, because a lot of the inhabitants of Africa do not uh, associate them with uh, aliens or advanced technology or anything like that. Or I would assume Rob, like they don't report it because it's kind of a given that like Mm -hmm. your ancestors would, eventually visit you in some way shape or form i mean that's a presumption on my part but i would imagine that's why you know and and who to report it to you know again if you have a supernatural experience that's part of your culture or or religion like you just embrace it and move on you're not seeking out a a ufo researcher because um maybe by chance you had heard that these things happened elsewhere in the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I know that's what we're going to talk about as well is like the conditioning that kind of pop culture and, and Mm -hmm. other countries have when other countries or cultures report these things as well. But, um, wow, that's fascinating. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's all good, man. Uh, there's, a a, a, another case kind of like this with a guy named, uh, Maganga. And he was actually just traveling home. Uh, he was taking this path, uh, and he saw this ball of light. It just appeared right in the middle of the path, right in front of him. He was terrified. He he thought it was ghosts, too. He turns around, starts to run backwards. It appears in front of him again. He keeps turning around uh, until eventually this ball of light goes out, and he feels these like hands around his neck, falls to his knees, and when the hands, uh, the sensation kind of only finally falls away, he ends up running home. He ultimately ends up suffering from health effects. He wasn't able to walk around. He didn't have a lot of energy. Um, they eventually called in a medicine man, and the medicine man gave him a uh, an herbal remedy that made him throw up this like nasty green uh, bile and uh, he was fine after that but again that's speaks to that cultural uh, context within this phenomenon is that what one person's unidentified flying weird looking light is is something else to uh, someone else and in, in, in two different cultures in this country, in, in this country or in this continent. I'm sorry. I love but, that. Yeah. It's uh, mm-hmm. Jacques Vallée all the way, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's yeah. One man's demon is another's fairy is another's alien. That's yeah. what I love about this topic. And I know you and I have discussed that in the past, this amorphous nature to it all that you yeah. can put every lens on it. You know, in America right now it's military. Elsewhere, it's ancestral ghosts. 
yeah, somewhere exactly. else. It's you know, it's uh, <laughs> interdimensional beings. I don't know, but um, yeah, those are fascinating. Um, now those are part of the first category, right? Yep. yep. Okay. And the second category uh, is, is the CE one. There are CE one cases, uh, mm-hmm. very much in line with the classic saucers and things like that. And and one of the most interesting cases from this tier uh, occurred to a guy named Joe Seeley, who was, uh, he had some money. And and on this particular day, this was in like late November, early December, 1980, he was uh, bringing home a a live-in maidservant. He had just hired her and, um, he was just on the way uh, back to uh, his property when uh, he, he was driving in Cape Town, South Africa. And he sees this glint in the sky. It's, it's, it's very high up. Uh, and then he watches it just descend rather quickly. And uh, what he says he sees is very out of the ordinary. It, it, it has a lot of the characteristics of a UFO, but it looks very terrestrial. So what he said he saw was like a, a, a rocket, but it, this rocket, they weren't hiding it. It said U, USA on it. It had a flag on it. There were <laughs> other identifying markers on this thing. And the thing was, is like it came down at an angle and then it just kind of flattened out, uh, hovered above the road. The thing was, is like he said that this thing was emitting fire out of the back of it, but he never heard a thing. Like he got out of his car, looked oh, wow. at this thing. Yeah, it was completely silent. Like even as close as it got. He, I think he said he was about like three hundred uh, meters or so away. So you know, fairly close up. Definitely easy to see. This was in broad daylight. So he sees this thing, and it kind of just like revolves around a couple times, and like. <laughs> He describes this thing at one point as being quote unquote dumpy, which is like (laughs) the most hilarious thing that you can say about a UFO. This UFO was dumpy. Okay, great. Dumps like a truck. (laughs) I love it. Dumpy. That is one descriptor I've never heard in any Project Blue Book file uh, to my knowledge or anything. That's I love it. I love it. I mean, uh, the only other thing that comes close is clown pants and like not everything can be (laughs) clown pants, man. I mean, those are for the worst of the worst. You know, you're on a Hollywood Uh... set, you throw some clown pants in the air and you try to pass it off as a UFO. At least that's what that MUFON investigator came to. But, yep. you know, <laughs> dumpy UFOs hovering over the road. Uh, he, he watches this thing for a couple minutes, and then it just shoots off up into the air. But, like, the the odd thing of it, uh, he said it also felt like he was kind of in a vacuum. It was very still, very silent. And, like, that's one of those features of the UFO phenomenon is that you, you often – find these accounts of people saying, well, there was no sound. Hey, there should have been crickets here, but hey, they just shut the hell up for whatever reason. And very similar instance, you know, two witnesses. Uh, the the woman that he did, had in the car was a, a, a black woman. So um, you got uh, different perspectives there, which I, mm-hmm. I appreciate. And um, I don't know what uh, what she thought of it because uh, apparently he fired her not long after for stealing or something like that. I don't know. Oh, no. but like, yeah, it's like, uh, okay, whatever, Joe. Joe this was Joe all was... a diversion for her to... 
steal yeah. that uh, extra cash in his glove compartment. Oh, that's yeah. a bummer because that's who I would want to hear from to see yeah. what her perception of the event is like. Oh, well. Yeah, bummer. Exactly. Like multiple witnesses, potentially from multiple different backgrounds. And, and again, that's what makes these cases so endlessly fascinating is yeah. the perspectives that you're given. But like, yeah, um, Joe just uh, just kind of a weird dude. Weird, uh, no, like he he reading it, he just seemed like a kind of a just like a weird dude to begin with. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Rob, you mentioned did he he specifically said he saw U.S. stamped on mm-hmm. that thing? Am I correct? US, USA American flag right on the thing. He said that he saw other identifying marks, but he couldn't remember them. And he was considering yeah. going in for hypnosis at the time, which was something that Cynthia Hind was recommending that he do. But um, uh, yeah, let me, let me, uh, for, for those that are watching on YouTube, I'll bring up an image. Uh, I've got it. The handy dandy book right here. Um, there you go. USA. And there's like some, uh, some other like, numbers that they put at the bottom of the thing there you go now we're focused nice. but like they they he said that there was like a ton of flame coming out of the uh bottom of the, out of the back of this thing oh and then you have the penis ufo <laughs> here um we can't go um I'm, i'll just mention this briefly so uh there's a section in this book about uh different shapes of objects that are seen and 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 one thing that uh, seems to come up as like cylindrical shaped objects. They they're mentioned mm-hmm. like all the time. And uh, there's this one case from these five guys who are attending a funeral for their friend. And they describe seeing a lozenge shaped object with like these balls of light at the end. And like when you see representations of it in UFO Afro news and in that book, it looks like a penis with some balls on the end. That's like the only way that you can describe it. <laughs> Yeah, there's no getting around it. You know, call us immature, but come on. I mean, when you see that picture in that book, you're like, wait, yeah. you got to look at the cover again and be like, I, this is a UFO book, right? I didn't, yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't mistake this for something. Wow, man. That's a crazy case. Like, the, I want to be like, okay, it was a rocket from the US, but like you said, it was completely silent. And also, what was a US rocket doing mm-hmm. over there? I mean, maybe it was landing or coming from space, but again, how could it be completely quiet? That's what really gets to me on that right. one. And, I, and and how can it just like shoot out all that flame and still be so maneuverable? Like and then zip away. Yeah, yeah. There's so much high strangeness to that case that like the the, the nice thing is is like there are those cases that have that subtle high strangeness stuff that just like kind of is like okay, that's a little weird. Let's yeah. uh, But you know that that's definitely one of those kind of cases for sure. Um, nice. that, that has that kind of feature, which I, I absolutely love. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. What's up, guys? Ryan dropping in to wish you all a very happy Halloween season. And what better way to celebrate than with Jim Harold's Campfire Podcast? With over 500 episodes of Campfire, you'll hear stories that will bend your reality and leave you truly spooked. The concept is pretty simple. Jim talks to regular folks about strange stuff that happens to them. And yes, that includes UFOs and UAPs, along with cryptids and, of course, ghosts. Now, not all the stories are horrifying. Some are pretty heartwarming, like a visit from a past loved one or a peaceful near-death experience. Regardless, they are true and fascinating stories, as told by ordinary people who've had extraordinary experiences. So, pull up a log and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Somewhere in the Skies. And remember, stay spooky. Now... I correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't know if you planned on talking about this one or not, Rob. But um, this might be later in the the uh, you know the classification system. But um, the one where it in the driveway is that one you were planning on talking oh, about? Oh, the the Rosmead lights. Yeah. Um, if you this, want, this, yeah, this is technically you could consider it a CE two case, but it's also kind of a ball of light type of case. Um, it's um. It takes place, uh, it occurs in this uh, kind of primary school in uh, Rosmead, South Africa. And uh, let me just bring that up. Yeah, of course, man. I put you on the spot. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good, man. You're good. Uh, Bringing up the cases. (laughs) uh, Because I just got... 
I got it all written down. So, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, this is uh, November 12th, 1972, Rosmead, Karoon, South Africa. And uh, the, this, um, this gentleman by the name of Harold Truder, he was the uh, headmaster of this primary school. Of the, uh, I can't remember what the name of it is, but uh, he had been coming home from a vacation that he had taken for the weekend. And, uh, you know, it had been a, a warm day. And that's when he noticed this, like, it was around 8, oh, almost 8.30 at night. He wrote, noticed as he was coming back this um, red kind of ball of light in the sky. And it was shooting a beam down uh, on this tennis court. He gets, uh, he pulls his car into the garage. He goes over. And that's when he notices that there's like some actual damage to the asphalt on, on on the tennis court. It looks like it's been depressed uh, as if like a great weight has been sitting on it. He also finds these like aeration holes, like in strips on this thing. And the interesting thing here is that, there are additional eyewitnesses to this case. There are nearby soldiers at a military camp. One of them, uh, his name was S.J. Rousseau. He was, uh, they had actually taken their mattresses outside because it had been just so hot. So they were just trying mm-hmm. to get some air, trying to sleep. And the they had these mattresses facing the tennis court. And that's when he saw at about 8.15, this light that just kept circling around the tennis court. For whatever reason, it was just incredibly interested in the tennis court. And uh, later on, because uh, he, he assumed that these were like, um, uh, I, I think like headlights or something like that, but he's like, or taillights, but he's like, yeah, I didn't see any headlights. It was just this like red light. So, uh, you know, he observes it. And later on, Harold Truder ends up calling the police department out there because he assumes it's just some kind of vandalism. Somebody came and vandalized a random tennis court on a on the property of a you know, primary school. Like, I understand. It's brand new. I, I want yeah. somebody to face some accountability here. Absolutely. And, and, yeah, and what they found is that whatever had happened uh, had launched bits of the tarmac into the back of his garage, which was like uh, like 200 meters or so away. Oh, wow. Or something like that. So, whatever so it, it had was, some it was, force. Yeah, and there was a nearby tree that some of these pieces ended up going into. There was actually some burn marks on the tree and there were like leaves that ended up dying on this thing. So it's one of those weird like uh, cases that uh, Cynthia Hine had an interesting take on it because like they had called scientists out here and uh, some of them were saying, well, it just melted in, in the sun, which no, like I've, I've seen hundred degree days. I've been in hundred degree days. It doesn't happen up here that often, melt. but it does. Yeah, it it doesn't melt like that. So, uh, you know, they initially threw that out. But the thing that Cynthia Hines said about this case was that she believed that whatever this light was, it got itself stuck in the tarmac and it essentially pulled itself out. And then, oh, interesting. Up, yeah, and ended up ejecting all these like small bits and pieces and you know everywhere, but. Like, yeah, these these were, like, tiny pieces 
of the tarmac on that uh, tennis court, but they just like embedded themselves in this tree in the back of this guy's garage. And yeah, it's just, it's one of those weird kind of CE2 cases where um, there aren't a lot of uh, explanations, but like you've got uh, a tennis court where it just looks like it's, it's depressed into the ground. And not only that, you have like perforated holes nearby, which was very strange, but Mm. uh, yeah, just, just one of those odd kind of uh, cases that uh, you know pop up uh, from yeah, time that, to time. That, that image stuck in my head when you talked about it in your lecture, so I had to bring it up. It was mm. killing me. But uh, tennis court—that's <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining like in Superbad, you know, when um, all the bottles of beer and stuff get shattered, <laughs> and the uh, the guy there is like, "F my life," because he's got to clean <laughs> yeah. it all. I'm expecting someone like who just finished constructing that tennis court and then like that day ufo comes down and completely destroys it and you just left there like f my life ufo of course right anyways right uh, god act of god God. (laughs) no the government will pay for that right act of god Uh, okay maybe you know (laughs) if uh you know if they got government funding into ufos maybe but i don't know maybe yeah i mean you know Mac Brazel, he might have got some hush money. We don't know fully, but you know, uh, people said he bought some, like a new truck or something. Good for him. He, he, Good for after him. that, yeah, he needed it definitely. He deserved it. I know, I know. Anyways, I'm sorry. I kind of, <laughs> I, I shoehorn my way into your, um, your categories here. So whatever oh, you want to talk about next, I, I can't wait, man. Thank you for doing this. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, the. This is kind of like the final category is broken down kind of into three parts here. But uh, okay. the, the CE3s, um, there are a lot of similarities to CE3s in the United States. So there are contactees from South Africa or from Africa uh, and, and from South Africa, Elizabeth Clare. She, um, you know, had an intimate relationship with a man named Akon. And again, right. I can't. Uh, you know, I I can't get the song "Smack That" out of my head every time I hear that because it's Akon. <laughs> I mean, uh, what, are you, what are you gonna do? But uh, she, <sighs> you know, claimed to have a uh, an intimate relationship with this tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed kind of guy. Of course, uh, she ended up having a child, and it ended up, li- you know, going to live on his home planet of Matan, and. Uh, yeah, she was kind of upset that uh, she couldn't live on the planet because the uh, oxygen level was not to her sufficient needs. So, uh, you know, it is what, what are it you is. Gonna do? Yeah. She became very well known uh, within Africa for her experiences. She went on um, a lot of radio programs, uh, which is a, a lot of a lot of the exposure that UFOs got was through radio programs. Uh, Cynthia Hine made appearances, and, and a lot of other UFO witnesses made appearances on local radio stations and stuff like that. Uh, it wasn't often that the newspapers would carry this kind of stuff, but radio, totally, totally there for it. Um, uh, what, one of my favorite cases is from 1951 from a guy who, who only gave his first name. He didn't want uh, himself to be identified. Uh, his name was Henry. And uh, he lived uh, near the uh, Drakenstein Mountains. And uh, the, he, uh, he was living there. He, w- he w- 
worked for the British Rheostatic Company at the time. He was an engineer. And uh, this was around uh, Christmas time in 1951. And uh, his wife's car, and now his wife was Spanish, he was British. And uh, they had this kind of like beater car, and it had been experiencing problems. It was a battery issue. So you spend four hours kind of like tuning the thing up, replacing the battery, all that stuff. And uh, at around 11 o'clock, he's like, well, I'm going to go drive this thing just to charge up the battery for a little bit. So he goes, takes a shower, gets in the vehicle, and he decides to drive up Drakenstein Mountain. And, uh, you know, it takes him about from the time that he leaves to get to the time that he gets to the top, it takes like 15 minutes and he stops for a bit, looks, uh, looks around. Uh, there's kind of like a, an area where a pull off area where you can do that. Uh, but he, he gets it back in his vehicle, turns around and he's heading down the, uh, the road again. Uh, and he gets flagged down by a strange man that kind of just comes out of nowhere. He, uh, he he's very kind of human looking, but like a little shorter faces. Uh, the the features are mostly there. He's kind of got hair that's sticking up, but like um, he just waves him down and uh, he comes over to his window. He's like, uh, "Do you have any water?" And he's like, "No, nope, only water I've got's in a radiator." And the guy <laughs> just and this dude just starts getting upset. So he's like, come on, uh, there, there's a stream just down the road. I, I'll, we'll get you some water. So this alien being gets inside this dude's vehicle, and they drive down to the stream. Only thing that he has to collect it in is an old, um, it's like an old oil can. So gets out this old oil can, and they clean it out a little bit, and they fill it up. And uh, he asks him where he needs to bring him. So... He takes him to this area, just kind of like in the shadow of the mountain. Uh, It's completely dark. And this was on a night when the moon was out, full moon. And uh, he's like, yeah, just drive over this way. And he's like, okay, it's a little rough right here, but uh, let's drive on over. So drives on over and his headlights fall on this UFO that's sitting there. Uh, It's suspended on legs. Sees kind of like a ladder from the bottom of it. And, uh, this guy ushers him, you know, has him come on. So he escorts him to the UFO. He climbs up and into it. And there's really just like one circular room. Uh, it's fairly large. There's like a bench that runs around the entire length of it. And he notices that there's like three other figures. Uh, the two of them are attending to this one that's laying down. And the one that escorted him in there basically told him that, yeah, he burned himself. So... Uh, you know, uh, we just needed some water to you know, dress the burn. Cool, cool. Damn, damn, uh, Ricky burned himself again. Uh, <laughs> always dealing with his BS when we're trying yeah, to do God, these uh, earth excavations. It. <laughs> it's Ricky's first day. This is bullshit. <laughs> but um, he, uh, wow. as a reward, this alien being says, hey, just ask me whatever you want. Like he uh, he does uh, Reddit AMA like right there. It's pretty <laughs> cool. And, uh, you know, he's uh, Henry's an engineer. So he starts asking him questions. He's like, where are you from? And he just points in the direction. He's like, from there. Yes, <laughs> again, from there. 
Keep it at vague. I understand. I've listened. I I am human. I've seen what we can do. I don't want, I wouldn't want to tell anybody where I'm from if I'm an alien because holy shit, I see what Elon Musk is doing right now. I see what what could happen. (laughs) It's like, um, (laughs) yeah, right? It's it's like when you, you, someone asks for like, your number, but you did, you know, you don't want to talk to this person and you, you make your phone number like one off so that they will never reach yeah. you. I, I feel like oh, yeah. right there. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're from right there. Oh, thanks. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, Hey, I give him me- credit for asking that. Like, that's oh, a yeah. good question to ask. You know, it, it reminds me again of like Homer Simpson, you know, <laughs> Homer, ask me anything, anything you want. You get one question, one question. Really? And that was his question. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. it. That's it. Um, <laughs> or three questions, I think it was. Really? I only get yep. one question? Yes. That question? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it reminds <laughs> me of. I, I butchered that, man. Wow. Let uh, let me stop. You you continue. <laughs> so uh, Henry ends up asking him, and like, how does your ship work? I noticed that there's no motor. He's like, oh, there's no motor. It's just uh, we use magnetic force. Cool. Yes, you do. Uh, yep. We we use. Uh, I think he said heavy metals that uh, he create a motion that uh, create their own artificial gravity, and bam, just uh, you know, go anywhere. And uh, the interesting thing is, is like there is a chapter dedicated to this book. And and if you enjoy UFOs, get yourself a copy of UFOs Over Africa. This yes. is a, an amazing book. It has every case that you could think of and the only one that you can think of right now is the aerial school landing let's be honest but you're gonna get so much so much more (laughs) in this book uh but um the um there's a chapter dedicated in this book to scientific theories about what this alien told him and how it could possibly work so if you want some science in your book get that goddamn book it's amazing uh (laughs) still in print today um and the uh the print of the publisher horace house actually does a few um different books there's one from irene granchi who uh was a famous brazilian ufo researcher she wrote a book decades ago it's still in print uh it's a fun book um but uh, definitely get your hands on this book, but uh, yeah, Henry, he uh, uh, this case wasn't even uh, originally reported to Cynthia Hind. Cynthia Hind, I she I don't even know if she was born at this time, but uh, it was reported to JJ Benitez in Spain, uh, and it ended up appearing in an issue of Flying Saucer Review, like in the seventies. I remember coming across it, um, just uh, going through the stuff, but uh, it was a really small compact ufo but you know kind of like the tardis bigger on the inside and uh kind of had like a control panel in the middle of the room didn't really know what it was for didn't know didn't this alien didn't explain things very well let's just put a very vague alien yeah Yeah. you know what man it reminds me so much of the uh the herb Shermer case mm-hmm. like kind of giving a tour of the inside yep. of a craft but when you ask like what does this do they're like don't worry about that. Don't worry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There. It's like, oh, okay, well, I should have yeah. changed my question then. <laughs> I mean, those aliens fed him so much bullshit. I felt bad for her. Well, you know, my question just... is, you know, yeah. what did they really need the water for? I don't believe it was yeah. for a burn. Like, we right. hear this all the time that, like, maybe water is a source they need. Why are so many UFOs seen around water? Um, 
yeah, I mean, the yeah. possibilities are endless, but that's interesting that the one thing the sailing would need was water. Um, mm-hmm. you, you gotta, you do have to wonder. You do. Yeah. Oh, and there are cases from Africa in which UFOs, uh, appear. Uh, there was a, there's a case, uh, with this one UFO that appeared over this woman's pool pump. And like, every time I hear a pool pump, I can't not think of Ed Walters and his crazy crap. Uh, <laughs> just because it's just like, the pool pump the pool pump was the antagonist of that entire set of of encounters that he claimed to have it was always that goddamn pool pump but uh this woman sees the like she thinks that her pool pump is kind of messing up because she hears this like giant hum and like she's she's just this is like 2 2 30 in the morning she's over it she goes and she she sees this like blue light right next to her pool pump it's like oh god is it gonna catch on fire and uh, eventually this light just like lifts off, lifts away. She sees it in the neighbor's uh, through the neighbor's window or something like that. So the next morning, her husband goes outside and notices that there's like, I don't know, 300 less gallons in the pool. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Well, OK, well, talk about siphoning. What the hell is that much water for? Yeah, Where'd exactly. Go? Holy yeah. shit, man. So that just like. I was not expecting you to say that much. I was like, oh, maybe like, maybe they took a foot off the pool. Like maybe they were like, the kids, they can't swim in four feet deep yet. So let's put it down to three feet for the uh, the human yeah. kids. But yeah, pretty significant, pretty significant. Uh, there's, an, there's another story in which uh, uh, this couple, they had a water tank that was like two inches from the top. They looked at it like one night right before went inside, went to bed, came out the next morning. The thing was bone dry. There was no evidence of a leak or anything like that. But there were reports of UFOs in the area, so it's the only explanation that fits here. <laughs> you it's decide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I want to believe. I want to believe like everybody, you know? Absolutely, man. I love yeah. it. That Now, I, I hope that they know there was chlorine in that. That could change everything. That could changer. that could be a whole different ballgame, man. <laughs> uh, that could ruin an alien uh, powered system. I'm assuming you know you get some. It's like putting in diesel there. in your like little yeah. you know moped yeah. or something. Oh yeah, you're gonna ruin that thing. <laughs> so your skin's expensive. gonna get all wrinkly if you're in the chlorine uh, too long. Oh Ugh. god, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, the things terrible. we could teach these aliens, and they could I teach know. us. Uh, anyways i digress what else you got for us man uh so i'll uh i'll hit you with uh, a couple more here uh two more cool uh so one of the um kind of other sort of well-known cases from uh south africa is uh known as the mindalore incident and this goes back to january of 1979 uh, Megan Gazette, she was up late reading, it's around midnight, and her son Andre gets uh, gets up, says he can't sleep, so they end up going to the kitchen to get some water, and that's when they hear their dog, whose name was Cheeky, uh, just uh, barking up a storm. So she opens the door, yells for Cheeky to come in, and that's when she noticed that Cheeky just jumped the fence, like, you know, some Olympic kind of shit here. And... Uh, <laughs> She, uh, she, she and Andre just run out, chase the dog up a couple streets up into this service road that was being built at the time. And that's when they noticed like, uh, what they thought was a plane coming in for a landing. Uh, she described it as being like a pink light 
and then getting closer, that's when she noticed that this was kind of a uh, a saucer-shaped object that uh, was surrounded in light. It had legs down that it was standing on. Uh, and she and Andre just like stood there for, you know, a few minutes. And uh, that's when they noticed these six figures that got out of it. And they started like moving around and uh, kind of messing with the soil and the asphalt and, and stuff. Uh, most of these figures were like clothed from head to toe. They were wearing kind of like a single uh, onesie kind of deal here, but uh, two of them, uh, they described them kind of like wearing like doctor's lab coats and pants. They had dark uh, olive skin. They had like beards, black beards, black hair. And when one of them started to play with the soil in their, in their hands, they noticed Megan and Andre just standing there staring at them. And like, these figures were conversing back and forth in languages. Like it seemed like two totally different languages. So the, the figure that with the black hair comes up to Megan bows and starts talking to her in a language that she didn't understand at first. She was okay. And then she just got terrified. So she tells Andre to go and get their, uh, his father. She's kind of anchored to the spot. She's kind of paralyzed. She says she can't move. And when uh, they see that she is terrified, the beings all of a sudden disappear. Like they just reappeared back in the ship. Now, initially, this thing doesn't take off. The legs of this thing, she describes the legs as getting bigger. And it starts like walking around a little bit. Like, you know, War of the World style. Yeah. Until it just uh, into the air. But I'm like, uh, no. That's... Pretty creepy, yeah. No H.G. Wells for me, please. That's uh, not what I want in my UFO landings. My UFO cannot handle that. Uh, (laughs) You know, just, I don't have the mental capacity to make it through a day most days, so I don't (laughs) see that being a good good thing to happen to me is like, hey, you know what? Why don't you see my UFO do some crazy stuff on its legs? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, bust you. a move, UFO, bust a move. I love yeah. that, man. That's so cool, <laughs> though, um, especially since they bowed. Like, how polite, yeah. how polite of them. Yep. Yeah, just, uh, you know, incredibly polite and just doing what they're doing. It, it kind of has, <laughs> like, the um, George Obarski Stonehenge vibes of, you know, collecting soil, looking at stuff, and then just, like, getting back in your ship and taking off. Isn't that, I I love these older cases where like they actually seem to have a purpose, you Mm -hmm. know, these beings or intelligences like collecting soil, collecting water, um, unfortunately, sometimes experimenting on human beings or animals, even if you, you know, buy into the whole cattle mutilation thing. Um, that's interesting. So is that kind of how that case ended? It kind Mm -hmm. of walked around and then maybe it needed to get a running start. That's kind of you what know, I'm picturing. Uh, you know, so, sometimes that happens. It, the craft and the Lonnie Zamora incident needed that little boost to get into the air. And then, exactly. you know, it was good. It was good. You know, sometimes you need that boost to get up. And uh, there's no shame in that. Look, I get it. Sometimes uh, people got lifted trucks. 
you need uh, maybe maybe sometimes you need a stool. I don't know. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's just tough to get up into those things. But I I, uh, I know that feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah, yep, been there. I mean, if you grew up, uh, you, you know, in the Adirondacks or like anywhere beyond New York City, lifted trucks, man, they were just a they're just a way of life around here. <laughs> Still are. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say some things never change, man. Even no. in um Syracuse, some things never change. Exactly, sure. man. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Awesome. And you have one more for us, you said? I do. I do. Cool. Um so uh wouldn't be complete if we didn't have a CE four, an alien abduction kind of case. Let's go there. And and, and what's interesting here is like uh the abduction cases you have your traditional abduction cases uh there they come up uh here and there but the cases that uh Cynthia Hine talked about were cases in which uh it, it seemed like they were trying to take the soul out of the body almost um Ooh. and just this feeling of being lighter and being lifted out um and in one case in particular uh is uh it involves a man named Bruce. He is uh of black African ancestry and uh he was from Zimbabwe. And uh in November of 1989 this is when you know abductions are huge in the United States and and because they are huge in the United States uh they start to receive exposure in other parts of the world and uh, in Africa itself, there are cases that start to come forward from people in the late eighties of abductions. So that's just the landmark, uh, you know, the, the impact that like books like communion and uh, intruders were having intruders. at this time. Uh, those two books are kind of monumental to the, um, the public face of UFOs and aliens. Uh, and, and in particular also, is uh, the um, uh, when uh, the uh, Roswell incident appeared on Unsolved Mysteries? Those two things, right there, those books, and that's spe- and that's special because like that Unsolved Mystery special was like half the show. It was huge. Right. It like kind of catapulted UFOs into a like a mainstream that it had never seen before. Like this was, uh, it, it had a whole new image as opposed to before, where you know it wasn't getting the serious treatment, and it was seen as like, oh, the government's covering it up, and 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 yeah. like pure cover up and stuff like that. This now was a wider facing phenomenon. Not only that, you had other individuals now feeling comfortable enough to tell their stories, which mm-hmm. is important. So, yeah. So Bruce, uh, his first experience, November of 1989, uh, he worked in some fields in um, Zimbabwe and he came home, he showered, he lived with his mother. And uh, as he was going to sleep because he he didn't eat, he just took a shower and decided to go to bed. And he described how his hands and legs just like all of a sudden as he's like trying to fall asleep, they felt dense and he had this feeling like someone was in the room with him. He heard this loud whirring sound like a motor. And his first thought was, this is a ghost. This is, you know, this is absolutely terrifying. So, um, 
it eventually passes. But it makes him remember that these incidents had happened to him in his childhood. And they just kept coming uh, up over and over again, this feeling of paralysis, this feeling of like, uh, you know, weight and weightlessness and and such. But um, the follow-up experience that Bruce had was just utterly terrifying. Um, And it had, it seemed to be related to health problems that he was having. Um, this was in July of 1990 and, uh, Bruce, he kind of wakes up. He's feeling, he's feeling ill that day. His skin was actually burning. Uh, he said his throat was sore and that his eyes were actually swollen. He couldn't keep any food down at the time. Um, so one thing that he noted was that, uh, a lot of the times when he had experiences, uh, sore throat was the common uh, feature of them. He would often suffer from them afterwards, but um, he started to recall that um, there was one experience and, and this experience had happened a day or two before. Um, he, he was in that similar feeling of just feeling dense and weighed down and unable to move. And that's when he noticed that there was a figure sitting in a garden chair over by his door. And this strange being, when he noticed that Bruce noticed him, got up. He said that he floated on over to him. And he described him, uh, like, the description similar to a, a gray in, in many ways. But uh, he moved towards him, started to pull back on his hair, and said, if you tell anyone about this, I'll kill you. I'll finish you off. And... Uh, Bruce tried to fight back, pushed him right back down on that bed. And this was just, he said that the face was just very white. So like very uh, gray in description, just like very white, uh, non-human figures. And and that terrifying description of it gliding, just no, thank you. Uh, But um, there was physical evidence in in this case. But uh, for instance, he noticed that uh, the next day as he got up that because uh, he, he had, I believe he had a dirt floor and uh, he noticed that in the floor, there were these very small looking footprints that led from his wardrobe to the front door and they just disappeared. Oof. I No, thank you. No, thank you. But like, uh, yeah. The, the, like, very like there are other similar cases in which um there was woman woman named caroline who had this like really dramatic encounter uh in her bedroom where she saw this uh kind of globe of light come into her bedroom but the weird thing is is like through the roof she could see this like tunnel of light that connected to a ufo outside she could actually see the trees from inside room and she described this weightless feeling and stuff and uh yeah eventually she was able to get up she wakes up her mother wakes up her sisters they're all sitting in the living room and all of a sudden she starts to feel this again and her sisters when they were talking to her uh describe how when they were looking at her our eyes were like brilliant orbs of light like um 
some like uh you know ghostbusters 2 uh janos in, in the hallway yeah. with the light yeah, eyes yeah. i i'm getting those vibes and i do not like it <laughs> uh, i mean if you're gb2 if you're, vibes yeah total gb2 vibes uh you know he's got that painting of vigo around <laughs> and you know he's just doing his best to restore it it's it's that kind of vibes but the the CE4 cases are incredibly interesting because there is a range of them. It just in like the, the, the very, from the very strange to the very typical, there were uh, two women, Phyllis and Diane. Um, I, I will recommend you go watch my presentation or listen to it because like <laughs> these two women one of them was just not having it the entire time she was on this craft. Every single time <laughs> she was resisting, she was like, no, I don't want to go. And they're just like, it's okay. Everything will be fine. And like, they're telling her to, to get onto this table. And she's like, no, I'm not getting on this table. Until... She's just like, all right, you know what? Whatever. You're persistent. I'll get on the table. And she just goes. <laughs> oh my God, man. I'm imagining like Phyllis and Diane, like, what was that old show where the women worked in like the bottle factory, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, doing yeah. it our way or whatever that was? Yeah, I, I, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting those vibes. I'm definitely. It's escaping those vibes. my mind, but I'm seeing like Phyllis. No, no, we're not going. <laughs> Diane, I want to do this. Let me do this. You're either my friend or you're not. We're gonna do this yeah. together. Or, or not. That's amazing. And, and, and it's funny because, like, Diane, like, when this is going down initially, she, they're seeing this object. She's kind of reticent. But, like, Phyllis, who is her mother, is like, come on, Diane. If you don't look at this thing, you're going to be missing out. <laughs> Live a little. Live That's a little. amazing, yep. man. Well, hey, you know what? That actually, to be serious, that reminds me of, like, the juxtaposition with Betty and Barney Hill. Like mm-hmm. Betty was so like, let's do this. Like, yep. show me the star map. What do you want? Can I take something to bring back? And then yep. meanwhile, like Barney is just like, F no, get me the F out of here. I want nothing to do with this. Um, it's interesting when you have two people having an experience and how like one really wants to do it. And it seems like always the other one doesn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's true in all cases, obviously. You look at like the Allagash case or or something like that, but that is interesting when you have a pair of people having an, a singular experience. It always seems that one really wants to embrace it and one wants to reject yeah. it. I, 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 I came across a case like that with a mother and daughter as well, where the mm-hmm. mother thought it was like the most euphoric, amazing experience, and the daughter yeah. was like, nope, hate it. Hate it, wouldn't want to date it. So yeah, I don't no, know, man. no. Uh, and I mean, like, uh, if if you want to know about that case, folks, you need to go get Ryan's book because it's in there. Because I've read it before, and uh, there is Shameless a terrifying, yeah, there is a terrifying moment in that book involving when the mother comes into the room when, when her daughter's about to go to bed, and there's something that follows her in, and I don't like it. I don't like it, but you know what? It's no. a hell of it's a hell of a read. So go get somewhere in the skies. Uh, it's it's a good book. You know what? <laughs> Thanks, I'm in buddy. it. So go get it. You are, you are, which I'm so honored. Yes, the, if that is not a selling point, I honestly don't know what is. To be completely yeah. honest, <laughs> I mean shamelessly self plugging. I'm on the best UFO podcast of all time. Uh, it's been <laughs> announced, folks. Okay, it is final. The tally, the votes were tallied. Okay, and it was it was awarded last night 
uh, on the best UFO podcast in a hell of a UFO book. Uh, just consume, <laughs> consume. I, uh, you know, I we're all ascending, for, brother. Yeah, I'm here for shameless plugs. Uh, you can pay <laughs> me later. Uh, PayPal me, whatever. <laughs> Check, yeah, virtual check is in the mail. No, hey, that's a lot of pressure, but no, we're not here to talk about that. Um, we're here to talk about UFOs in Africa, man. And you, of course, I knew you would bring it. Like, I had to do very little lifting in this episode. Mm-hmm. So um, I have to thank you for that. But I guess to kind of, um, unless you have anything else, any other cases you want to share, I'd love to kind of. Not conclude, because we never conclude these things. Nothing's ever no. solved. Nothing's never. ever answered. More never. questions than answers. Um, but what do you um what do you think we need to do here in the United States to really uh uh invite more of a world, a global view of these cases? Because again, we get so caught up in like you know, Roswell and the Tic Tac and like all these things happening here in America um, when there's a whole world out there. I mean, I'm doing right now, I'm looking into Bolivia, I'm looking into um, Russia, and it's just blowing my mind how much data is out there globally that we're not taking into consideration when we're researching, when we're even investigating. Um, So big loaded question for you. What do we do to like really welcome the rest of the world to like share these things, report these things, or, or can we even do that? I don't know. Um, I think there are uh, a, a bunch of things that we can do. One, these cases deserve a seat at the table with every well-known case that is out there, you know, for all your Betty and Barney Hills, for all your, you know, Belgian UFO waves and, and for all your Antonio Viespoas, all these cases deserve a seat at the table. Um, for one thing, we need, people need to talk about them more. Like seriously, uh, I, I, I don't, uh, whenever anybody's like, uh, I wanted to cover a case, but I saw that you covered it and I didn't want to do it. Cover it. Like these <laughs> cases deserve to be covered. Get yourself a copy of this book. I like, I will, you know, chill for Cynthia Hind all freaking day. She's no longer Absolutely. with us. So honor her work. Go get UFOs over Africa. Go read the cases in this book because they're endlessly fascinating for one. Two, you're going to find the similarities, the differences, which is important to note. Um, mm-hmm. I, I also think allowing people to tell their stories is one of the most important things that anybody can do, regardless, uh, especially now with the way that we could, we could bridge technology and, and just do this. We can do this podcast, Ryan. We're, we're hundreds of miles apart, but we can do it. Like opening those do- opening those doors to people in other countries that want to tell their stories is incredibly important. And it gives this phenomenon a more broad view gives it a more inclusive view it gives it a a better view because you have a, a more complete picture when you can see all of these cases from all over the world and see how they are the same how they're different how they affect people and and giving these cases a seat at the table is incredibly important and that was w- one of the things that I wanted to do with my presentation is give these cases a voice that they definitely needed because again there are probably investigators in africa but it's just they are not easy to find again if you 
if you try and Google UFOs in Africa and like, yeah, there are probably better search terms that you can use. There aren't a lot of people that you could probably report to, but like encourage those people to report where they can report to. If it's to MUFON, report to MUFON. If it's to New Fork, report to New Fork. If it is a podcaster that you feel comfortable sharing your story with, report it to them. Send them an email. Get in touch with them and, and say, hey, I've got a story. Can uh, can I tell you my story? Absolutely. Um, I, and that's definitely important. And, um, you know, if you can feature these stories on podcasts, great. They deserve to be known they deserve to be recognized and um you know just they deserve to be embraced by the ufo community even if they you know know about them or probably don't because again uh this was an issue that i started to think about in 2018 and like why aren't there a lot of ufo cases that come from africa why Mm -hmm. is it that the only ufo case that we talk about from africa is uh, the aerial school landing again, a very incredibly important incident, but not the only one. So, um, you know, that's kind of what fueled this. But like, when I listened to the Saucer Life episode about Elizabeth Clara, I was like, "Holy crap! There are other cases from Africa." Yeah, right. That's, that's important. So, to anyone listening, to anyone that has a platform, just give these cases, give these witnesses a platform to share their stories. And, you know, the more well-known that these stories become, these cases, uh, you know, the better and uh, view and more inclusive view that we have of this phenomenon. Absolutely, man. You, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, if you have that platform, amplify those voices, especially, mm-hmm. you know, voices of color who we don't oh, yeah. honestly hear a lot from in this community. And, you know, that's a whole other issue and episode we could have yeah. um, as two white guys talking here yeah, on a podcast exactly. in America. Like, but exactly. it's true. You know, yeah. like they're out there and it's, mm-hmm. um, it's a matter of welcoming more yeah. different types of communities in here to uh, have this human conversation. And, oh, yeah. um, and I feel like that's probably why a lot of people don't come forward or report things. They don't feel, like they can or that they have a place. But like you said, everyone's got a seat at the table. Nobody knows mm-hmm. when that turkey's going to be done and when we can yeah. all eat because we have no idea what the hell is going on. But like, exactly. why not get every viewpoint, every culture, every everything? I, I just, yeah. that's why I got involved with this topic. I don't know about you, but it was to find a community. And the more I got into it, the more I realized, yeah, there's going to be those darker corners of these communities always that Mm -hmm. don't want voices amplified and don't want this or that but overall man like it's just so what better community more open-minded than people who believe in aliens visiting our planet so that's all i'll say that's my um kind of soapbox moment like invite (laughs) people into the conversation that you normally wouldn't and uh let's all just try to find answers together yeah, not just you know people of color. They're they're definitely important. They they their voices need to be amplified. Uh, LGBTQIA plus people they deserve Absolutely. to have their voices amplified. Women deserve to have their voices amplified. Like uh, bring these people deserve to have their stories uh, told, to have a place for them, and uh, to uh, contribute to this phenomenon because it, it it's 
it's a global phenomenon. There's no way to get around it. It's a global phenomenon. They are all part of this world. And the more inclusive that you make it, the better a grip you have on this subject overall, but uh, a better community that you're going to, you know, ultimately um, create. Absolutely, man. When that UFO finally lands and we're ready to finally make grand contact, they're not going to give a crap what country you're from, what religion you believe in, what color you are, what orientation. It's all, it's going to be all of us working together. So it's beautiful. I love it. And I love that you highlighted these cases for us, man. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also love that you shared your personal experiences over on Our Strange Skies recently. Um, with the gentlemen of Astonishing Legends and everything. So I got to ask, can you tease us a little about that episode and um, what you got coming next over there at Our Strange Skies? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I sat down with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess from Astonishing Legends and um, Rich Adam, who is the screenwriter of the Mothman Prophecies, TV writer, good friend of mine. And I basically said, hey, I've never given people the chance to just like, grill me about my experiences. So here's two hours, have at it. And, uh, you know, we talked about some of my experiences that I've talked about on other pods and some experiences that I've never talked about before. And we kind of just started to like hash it out and it's a great conversation. Um, uh, I, the presentation I gave for pan, uh, paranormal con is, uh, Online, you can listen to the audio on the Our Strange Skies feed right now. If you want to watch the video, if you want to watch me be hectic for two hours on a video, <laughs> you can subscribe to my do. Patreon. Oh yeah, they <laughs> subscribe to the Patreon. You'll you'll get to watch that. But uh, uh, coming down the line, I uh, am in research on an episode about the aerial school landing and other uh, landings at other schools because there there are lots of them, like Preston Dennett, like. Uh, documented a bunch of them in a book and like that book is endlessly fascinating. He's a, he's an interesting figure, been doing this a long time in this field, but um, we'll be talking about aerial, the aerial school landing. Um, I'm in uh, the beginning stages of research on uh, a couple specific abduction cases. So that's pretty much what you got coming on down the line. Uh, If you subscribe to the Patreon uh, later, this, uh, it would have already come out by the time this episode comes out, but there will be an episode about further uh, African cases that I just recently stumbled upon that is like, oh, hey, that's cool. Oh, there was a UFO wave in South Africa in 1972. Cool. Let's talk nice. about that. So, yeah, more cases from Africa. If you're so interested, check out the Patreon. Awesome, man. And again, you're not just a one-trick UFO pony. I know you do another podcast as well. Um, Would you mind telling us a little about that before we uh, say goodnight here? Yep. So um, uh, my other baby is Rolling Through the Realms. It is a uh, Dungeons & Dragons podcast. If you enjoy tabletop role-playing games and, uh, you know, if you want to hear conversations about how our cleric is more like a wizard, uh, go check that out. Um, I'm also a part of the Order of Podcasters, which uh, if you do, if you're really into UFOs, go check this podcast out. We uh, are, we're coming up on our season finale and uh, there's about 20 some odd episodes in the feed right now, but uh, it's basically kind of like if the X-Files folks had 
regular day jobs? What would they be like? And I play a a George Norrie-like character that, you know, definitely takes it to extremes. Uh, if you listen to the first episode, I definitely talk about, you know, pizza rolls giving your mouth third degree burns it's 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 the way it is you know you got to celebrate those moments so uh if that appeals to you and if uh you know a, a scripted show about people trying to save horrors from coming into our world go check out the order podcasters too <laughs> i love it man i love everything you do you are a renaissance man through and through <laughs> so as usual I have to thank you for coming on UFO Happy Hour, our fan favorite series with Rob Christopherson. And as always, brother, thank you for coming on Someone in the Skies today. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, these are always these are always great, man, because it's just, you know, let's bring all this crazy shit to the table and let's talk about it. Let's do it. I'm hungry. <laughs> What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.